Hey, yo, give it up for God this morning. Yeah. Also, give it up for those who are online. What's up, Nathan? What's up, Holly? Hey, um, my name is Rashad Cunningham. I'm one of the pastors here at Mercy Road. The teaching and community pastor is my title. Um, I am thankful to be here. I'm thankful to see so many faces that are here. And I do this thing. I didn't do it last service, and it's probably why I was a little off, but I'm going to do it now. I say, good morning, Mercy Road. You say, good morning, Rashad. It's not because I need any praise or anything. I just want to make sure that the energy's in the room and that we're going to be vibing together and that you're actually ready for the word of God. I want to make sure you leave everything at the door. Now, as I tell everybody every week, there are some heathens in here who are going to call me radish. Don't listen to them. My name is Rashad, okay? We don't know why they do that, but, we, you know, no, nobody's too far from God, you know, and all that good stuff. So, anyway, hey, good morning, Mercy Road. Good morning, Rashad. Yeah, and I still heard him. I still heard him. I know where he's at. I'm just not going to point him out. He's that way. Anyway, um, let's do that one more time. Seriously, it's just to know that you're ready for the Word of God. We're going to open up the Word of God. We've got a lot of teaching today, so let's try that one more time. Good morning, Mercy Road. Good morning, Rashad. Amen. So, I got my voice back. Yes. And then I got like this allergy cough, so boo, right? Hey, um, so we're continuing our series, Underground Jesus. This is something we do every single year, and we are looking at what we call movement maker statements. These are statements that we preach, that we teach to get you to move out of these seats and into the world to win people for Jesus. They are literally what we hope you would believe about the DNA of our church so that you move out of these seats and don't get comfortable just gathering here on a Sunday. We started in week one with Live Boldly, Love Deeply. If you missed it, go see it. It was a very life-changing sermon for so many people in our congregation. And last week, Josh did Up, In, and Out, and we had 10 spontaneous baptisms. Wow. Some of you in here, y'all saw it. It was amazing. And so now we're to the mission statement, which is we exist to see people far from God discipled into a passionate relationship with Jesus. I'm going to say that again, because this is the whole reason that this church was planted. This is why we gather. This is why we do everything that we do. We exist to see people far from God discipled into a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay. So what I'm doing today, I'm going through like this overview of the New Testament of the life of Peter. I'm calling this sermon the meeting place because Peter has these encounters with Jesus uh, at a boat three different times within a, he has it a lot, but I just picked out three of them. But I'm going to start by giving you the understanding of what a disciple was in its context. So I need you to like literally bear down with me, be with me, ignore the Laker jersey. You're going to see it all day. Okay. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Haters. Anyway, anyway. So check this out. In the Jewish context, in its, so, its social context, you have to understand what it meant to be a disciple. Anybody got like a five-year-old or a six-year-old here and online and all that? Okay, yes. So that's like the age that they determined you were okay to start school. And school would consist of learning the, what we call the Old Testament. So you would go in on the first day, and they would put honey on the slate or like your desk, and they would tell you to take your hand, you're six years old, and you'd take your hand, you'd rub it on the honey, and you'd put it to your lips while the teacher would walk around with a psalm like Psalm 119, 103, Psalm 119, 103, which talks about how the word is like honey to my lips. It says, how sweet are your words to my taste, yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And 
the students would have been like, mm, honey, because honey was like Skittles back then. Like, you didn't get it all the time. You got it when you was clipping up or clipping down or whatever, right? All right, so, so check this out. Stay with me here. Stay with me. So on top of that, you have to understand what a rabbi was in the social context. A rabbi was the LeBron James of their time, the Drakes or the Oprah Winfrey's or the name whatever superstar or celebrity that's out there. They didn't have TV. They didn't have these super sports. What they had were rabbis, and rabbis were the top of the top of the top. So you didn't want to be like Mike. You wanted to be like your rabbi. Unless your rabbi's name was Mike, then maybe you would. But you wanted to be like the rabbi. Everything you wanted to do was to be like your rabbi because they were the top of the top in the, in the village or in the town. And so think about these children. They're there. They're going to learn the word. And from six to like age 10, they would have went to school and it would have been called Bet Safair. Everybody say Bet Safair. All right, that was the first part of education, and they would learn the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and not just the name of the book. They would have learned literally the scriptures. You're like, I know the books of the book. No, they learned all of it, kind of like we know one plus one is. Uh, <laughs> they would have learned it just like we learned our numbers, our letters, all of that. I know some of you don't have it. That's okay. We'll pray for you. All right, but after that, they would go to Bet Talmud. Everybody say Bet Talmud. This was like middle school, and they would learn the rest, the writings, the prophets. They learned the rest of the Old Testament. This is how they taught everything that they, need, they, excuse me, that they needed to learn in the village. And so at the end of Bet Talmud, most women would go back, and they would learn how to like, become home takers and mothers, not because they were less or anything, but this is just the culture. I'm giving you the culture, all right? Now, the, only the best of the best boys we're allowed to go to the next level. If you weren't the best of the best, if you weren't the valedictorian, right? If you weren't the smartest and understood it like you should understand it, like you should understand it, you had to go back and ply the trade. Plying the trade meant you had to do whatever your father did for a living. This is the culture. Only the best of the best got the opportunity to go to a rabbi, look at a rabbi and say, can I follow you? You see that? Can I follow you? The rabbi would look back at the disciple and take them for three days to maybe a week and let them follow them so that they could test them. Test them why? To see if they could take their yoke, which means their interpretation of the scripture, to see if they could take their yoke and take it further. If they could take their yoke, learn their interpretation of the scripture, and then give it to others and make more disciples. Is this starting to make sense? When Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, my interpretation of the scripture is easy. I don't add stuff to the scripture, so the burden is light. So disciples would look, I mean, excuse me, rabbis would look for disciples and say, Mm, can you take my yoke and take it further? And nine times out of ten, the answer is no. There's something about them that's just not perfect, that's just not excellent, that's just not charismatic enough to say that you can be my disciple. So the majority of those people have to go back home and ply the trade, which means do what their father did for a living. Only the best of the best were allowed to be disciples in the Jewish context. Only the best of the best. Think about that, okay? Think about that. And so what happens is, it's kind of like Josh. Josh is the reason I'm wearing this. Last week he was talking about my Lakers, and then since y'all booed him, obviously I'm going to keep wearing stuff like this just for you. <laughs> but Josh, just so you know, when the basketball stuff was in COVID times and we were in the bubble, Josh was texting me like, man, our team is good. 
Why? Because we won the championship. So Josh was on board. I got the proof. I was going to put it on the screen, but I'm going to wait till he apologizes to me. But then, <laughs> but then, check this out. But then when we lost in the playoffs this past, this past season, he goes, man, your team is bad. You see that? Like, Josh was basically like a rabbi back then. He only wanted the best of the best. Had to get him back for last week. Anyway, so coming back to this, now look at this. When you open up Matthew 4, you're going to start reading this text a little bit different. In Matthew 4, verse 18, look at this. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So with the context I just gave you, what does that tell you about Peter and Andrew? They weren't the best of the best. Why? Because they're fishermen. This is the first meeting place of Jesus and Peter, in a sense. It's called the boat of labels and flaws. And some of you right now are probably at that boat. Maybe you're here and you're a non-believer and you're a non-believer because you look at the Christians and the Christians, when they talk to you, they make it seem like they're high and mighty, holier than thou, better than you. They look down on you and you're like, that's why I can't be a Christian because I'm not the best of the best. The world has labeled me this. The world has called me too fat, too skinny, too white, too black, too rich, too poor, too something. And therefore, I'm too far away from God to be in a relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you something. We don't fly like that right here. We don't do that here. You're not too far from God to be discipled into a passionate relationship with Jesus because he's not looking for the best of the best. And when we think about sin, everybody in here is the worst of the worst. So if that's you and that's the boat you're at, don't let the world label you. Let the word label you. And the word says that Jesus wants you. But some of you are here and you do believe that you are a believer of Jesus in this statement, this mission statement. We exist, we wake up, we breathe to see people far away from God discipled into a passionate relationship with Jesus. Some of us who are believers, we believe that theologically, but not practically. You see, let's, let's go into your neighborhood. I live in Westfield. I live in Countryside, this big old neighborhood with a whole bunch of subdivisions, and I love it. I absolutely love it right now. But when I drive around, I pull in the neighborhood, and I start seeing things that would, that would tempt me to label people. And I want you to drive in your neighborhood real quick. What's that flag that's waving at that house where you don't know the people, but you know the flag? What is it? Is it the Confederate flag? Is it the Black Lives Matter flag? Is it the gay pride flag? Maybe it's the Trump 2024 flag or the Biden flag or the insert whatever it is to where you don't know the neighbor, but you know the flag. And because of that flag, they ain't never getting no cookies from me. <laughs> right? And so what happens is you believe, you come to the church and you're like, yes, no one is too far from God to be discipled into a passionate relationship with Jesus, but that person with that flag is too far away from me. And so I'd ask you, hey, do they believe in Jesus? Don't know, don't care. But think about who Jesus chose. The fisherman. The rabbi reject. <laughs> The regular person, the average person, the tax collector who was literally the enemy. This is who he intentionally went out, saw, and chose. Why? Because he doesn't say that we exist to see labels. We exist to see flaws or we exist to see flags or political stances. No, we exist to see people. Do you see people? 
Or do you see insert label that is against your preference or your bias or whatever, and therefore you can't meet them, you can't meet them where they're at and love them the way that Jesus loved you? Because of this boat of labels and flaws. You see, I could have came in here and said, hey, normally you teach something like this, you say, you know, there's Paul, and Paul was a murderer, and then he had an encounter with Jesus, and now look at Paul doing what he does for the church. But y'all don't know no murderers? Hopefully. I could tell you about the drug dealers I know. I could tell you about some of these other things, but that's not where you live. You live in Hamilton County for the most part. So who's the one that you're looking at that you're saying is too far away? And why are they too far away? Because they don't agree with you about masks and vaccinations. Therefore, they're, they're deserving to go to hell and not know Jesus because you won't take the opportunity to see people. This is the first boat. The boat of labels and flaws. And to the non-believer who's in here, if anybody has not seen you because of your labels and your flaws according to the world standards, they're just not living out the love of Christ. I apologize for whatever you, you've encountered, but I'm telling you right now, that's not what we exist for. Think about the words, we exist. That means you wake up with a purpose. We don't exist to sit in the seats. We don't exist to just see each other. I love y'all, but I'm going to see y'all forever. Forever, ever, forever, ever, right? I'm going to see you in eternity. I believe that. So I don't have to huddle up with you all the time. I don't have to be with you all the time. Why do I want to get in the outpost? So that we together can go see people who are far from God. That's the whole purpose of why we gather. There's other churches, no knock on them, who gather to get more and more knowledge about God. And that is awesome. What are you going to do with it? So we exist to see people far from God. Stop. We exist to see people far from God. And so when you think about that, stop questioning why lost people act like lost people. I don't understand why the world, the world's lost. That's why. And so don't let that be the barrier that keeps you from knocking on your neighbor's door and inviting them to your dinner table, not the temple. Invite them into a relationship with you. Why? Because discipleship is intimate. It's a relationship. It's time spent together. And Jesus went to the rejects of the culture. He went to the ordinary of the culture, and he said, follow me. Think about that. Because in the culture, you had to go to your rabbi and say, can I follow you? You had to ask them. Jesus comes to them and says, follow me. Now do you see why in John 15 when it says, remember, I chose you. You didn't choose me. Culturally, the disciple had to choose the rabbi to get even considered to follow him. But Jesus comes to you and says, follow me. Yes, yes, yes. So that's the first boat. Now, the next boat, and, and, and I want you to do this because of the context, the context and all the, the stuff I'm giving you. Go home and read these passages for yourself because I'm kind of paraphrasing them. And, and you should never just trust me just to trust me. Be like, that sounds good. I'm going to go home and see if it's real, right? Always go home and read this for yourself. Always go home and read this for yourself. So the next boat is the boat of little faith. It's another meeting place where Jesus meets Peter. And so I'm just going to give you the overall context. It's in Matthew 14, but I'm just going to give you the overall context because it makes me flow through this a little easier. Is that okay with y'all? Amen. Okay, okay. So remember, culturally, a, a disciple wanted to be just like their rabbi. There was nothing like... Why do you think they dropped everything? Because it would mean everything in the world for a rabbi to say, I can be just like him and to say, follow me. He chose me. So I'm dropping everything to go be like this rabbi. I want to be just like my rabbi. 
So in Matthew 14, look what happens. Look what happens. In Matthew 14, Jesus sends them out, and he's watching them from a distance, and there's this storm while the disciples are in a boat. And Jesus comes walking on water. And when he's walking on water, the disciples think it's a ghost, so they're afraid. And Jesus reminds, he, he tells them, he's like, no, 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 don't be afraid, it's me. Once again, you can read this for yourself. He says, it's I. And so Peter, Peter, who wants to be just like his rabbi, because he's a true disciple, says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come. Why? Because if it is you and you say that I can come or to walk on the water, then you're telling me I can do it because you wouldn't tell me to do it unless I could do it. This is going to change the way you read this passage. So what does Jesus say? Come. Jesus is looking at Peter and saying, I know that you can do this. That's why I'm telling you to come. Peter steps out the boat. I don't know what it looks like. I've never walked on water, but I'm assuming he's like, okay. <laughs> like, because this is not like a puddle, right? <laughs> this, is, this is the Sea of Galilee. And he starts to walk on the water. But then it says he starts to sink. And as he starts to sink, he lifts his hand up and he says, Lord, save me. Now, when a lot of people preach this, right, mama, they say he took his eyes off of Jesus. Peter didn't take his eyes off of Jesus. If he took his eyes off of Jesus, he wouldn't have said, Lord, save me. Some people say he stopped believing in Jesus. That's why he started to sink. No, he said, Lord, save me. Jesus is still standing on the water. He still believes Jesus is standing on the water because he's standing on the water. So why did Peter start to sink? And why, after Jesus pulled him up and got into the boat with him, why did Jesus say, oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Context, everybody. Who did Peter doubt? He didn't doubt Jesus. He called on Jesus. He didn't stop believing in Jesus. He called on Jesus. He stopped believing what Jesus said about him when Jesus said, come. And he started sinking because he thought that he couldn't do it. See how that changes the text when you know the context of being just like your rabbi? And so now some of us, we are like, Rashad, there is nobody with a label in my neighborhood that I think is too far away. No, no, no. I know what God can do. I just don't think he can do it through me. I'm not good enough. We're singing this song today, here again, and, and, and in the words, we say, I'm not enough unless you come. All you are is all I want. Like, all I want is all you are. Like, I just want to be like my rabbi. When did you stop believing that you could reach the lost? No matter who they are. Think, think about this. Please think about this. When my daughter was born, she is in college, and it has been a rough journey, everybody. But when my daughter was born, I, I held her, and I didn't look at her and say, walk right? <laughs> like a walk, get up. Why aren't you walking? Hold your bottle, walk. No, I, I didn't do that because she wasn't ready, right? Maybe I did, but I don't think I did. <laughs> but two to three years later, after I observed her, I saw her bones getting stronger. I saw her like starting to balance herself. You know what I did? I called to her, come, Genesis, come. You can do it. I know you can do it. Can you see Jesus? Can you see him looking and saying, come, Dan, come, right? And you're like, well, he's never asked me to walk on water. No, but he did ask you to go make disciples. Of who? All nations. Where? In your neighborhood. Well, which one? The one you don't like. <laughs> you can do this. 
When did you stop believing that you could be like your rabbi? He says in his Bible, you will do greater works than these. Come. Come do what? Come reach people far from God. And see, what you do is you, you, you get this. This is, this is the only thing I hate about this stage. This is what you'll do. You'll knock on the door. You'll bring the cookies. You'll mean it. And then you'll say, uh, come to my church. And, and come see my pastor, Josh or Davey or Kathy. Or come see Rashad. And then they come in here and you're like, oh, wait till they hear this sermon. This is, is going to be the one that changes my neighbor from far from God to close to Jesus. Watch Rashad do it. And Rashad gets here and talks about something they have no interest in. And they're like, he's loud, he's wearing a Laker jersey, and he's not that good. <laughs> what? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> and then he goes back home, and you're like, ah, I, th I thought that was it. But you know what? Your neighbor knows you, not me. Your neighbor knows you. You invite, don't invite them to the temple. Invite them to your table. Invite them into your life. Don't go get the cookies to check it off and be like, look, I gave them the cookie shot. No, come back with stories of how you invited them into your actual life. Who? The person that you disagree with most just because they live in your proximity. Why? Because you exist to see them. Why did you wake up in Hamilton County in your neighborhood? Why did you wake up in that house? If it was about salvation, then you would believe in Jesus, go get baptized, and then just go to heaven. What's the point in waking up another day? I'm done. I'm saved. And that's how a lot of people are living. They wake up day after day after day to do what? To wait to die. They're not existing. They're waiting to die. Why? Because it's all about I'm saved and I'm good. But our motto excuse me, our mission says we exist, we wake up, we breathe to see people far from God discipled into a passionate relationship with Jesus. So it's the reason that we come together is to go back out. If you're here just to do the week-to-week -week thing until it's time for Jesus to return or you go to heaven, then you're not existing, you're waiting. And he didn't call you to wait. He called you to exist and to engage. What's holding you back? Where do you feel you lack? Because the Bible says that in the areas that you're insufficient, he's enough. Right? And, and if, it's, if it's something so much about that flag that's waving in the neighborhood or that person that's in the other cubicle or that student that sits at that table or those people that you don't like, or that family member, if it's something about them that is that great that you can't love them, then you have to ask yourself, what do you really understand about the gospel? Because I don't know about you, but two weeks ago we saw that he loved deeply who? His enemies. Think about this. No one is too far from God. Do you believe that? Because that's why we gather. And if you don't believe that, you're going to struggle here. Because we're going, to, we're going to continue to encourage and push you to join these things that we do that are so outward focused because we want to see people who are far from God. If you're looking for a museum for saints, there's plenty of them around. And you can stand in all your glory and all your knowledge of what you know about the Bible. And, oh, look at me. I know all the Bible. Amen. Okay, great. What are you doing with that? See, we are a hospital for sinners. We hope to see people far from God walk in here all the time because they're in relationships with our outpost people, relationships with rooteds that are happening outside the walls, relationship with people who just see them. Jesus saw Peter. 
He didn't see a fisherman. He didn't see a label. He didn't see a rabbi reject. He saw Peter, and he said, follow me. So I want you to think about this real quick. Because, see, this is what it looked like in my life. At the age of 20, I had a relationship with a 16-year-old. That is illegal. Inappropriate relationship with a 16-year-old. Feeling some type of way about myself. They couldn't prove anything. And so what happens is, since they couldn't prove anything, they did this thing called a substantiation where they put something on, like, my CPS DCS record that says we can't prove that he had a relationship, but we have enough evidence to make the assumption. Years go by, and I have my daughter, Genesis. More years go by, and I lose my son, Exodus, after living one day. In 2011, we get pregnant, or 2002, we get pregnant again, and in 2011, my wife goes into a coma from internally, internally hemorrhaging, and we lose not only the child, but the ability to make children. And so after this, uh, we want to adopt, but we can't adopt because I didn't know that there was a substantiation on my record. I can't adopt because of that. So now I'm trying to sabotage my marriage because I believed in God. I didn't know the Jesus part. I believed there was a heaven and a hell. I heard about sin, and I was going to hell, so I just need to have as much fun as I can now because I'm going to hell. But my wife didn't deserve this based on me, so I'm trying to sabotage my marriage so that she leaves me because I'm too much of a coward to leave her. And some way in all of that, in April, a guy that I made beats in hip-hop, I made music for him, was rapping at some church in Brownsburg, which just didn't make any sense. Church, rap, Brownsburg. Nope, don't make sense. <laughs> and so I was like, sure, I'll come because I want to hear my music played. I didn't come for Jesus. I wanted to hear my music played. But that pastor put that together because no one was too far from God, Right? And so I came, I heard my music played, he preached a sermon, it didn't do much, but my wife said, hey, can we come back for Easter? It was the very next day. I was like, sure, because I knew she had just caught me cheating. She told me six years later she would have divorced me if I didn't go that Monday. I knew she had caught me cheating again, I was just trying to figure out a way to buy some time. So sure, I'll go, I'll come back to Easter. We had never been in church as a family before. We go to church, and he's reading it from Romans, and he's breaking down Romans. I love words, so I'm intrigued. I'm like, I'll come back another week. I came back six weeks in a row, never feeling like I didn't belong. They, they, they knew me. The whole neighbor, everybody knew me in Brownsburg. They knew what I was about, and they still open arms every week. Come on. Got so close to the pastor that I was getting my hair cut by him. And so on May 28, 2011, as I'm waiting to get my hair cut, I surrender my life to Jesus because I can't stop crying hearing about this Jesus person who still loves me, even though I am the worst of the worst. Yeah. Right? Fast forward a year after that, I'm now preaching just like that. I don't have the seminary education. I don't have all the theological stuff figured out, but I know Jesus. So I'm preaching at a women's shelter, opportunity God opened up for me, and there's a resident manager, she allowed me to tell this story, there's a resident manager that works at the women's shelter who heard about it, knew about me, and said, no, 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 no. He is a manipulator, he's a womanizer, he's emotionally abusive, he's mentally abusive, he's relationally abusive. If you let him come in here with these women, he will destroy them. I don't care what kind of... Uh, person he says he is. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. And I didn't know this as I'm preaching week after week. Now, back then, the crowds were like two, three. But on one Sunday night, 
crowd was seven, and I saw a woman come in, and she just started crying. I'm preaching. I'm sharing the gospel. I'm not that good. I got no cards. I'm dropping them all over the place. I don't know. But I know the gospel. That's all I know because I know that he chose me at that boat of flaw, that he chose me of little faith. Like, I know he chose me, so I'm just sharing what I know. I'm just sharing what I know. And she's crying, and she's crying, and she's crying. And so after I preached, I went out and was about to get in the car, and she said, hey, hold on. Come here. I thought she was one of the ladies that was, you know, at the shelter. She gave me a hug, and I just learned that you got a side hug. So when she hugged me, I was like, oh, you can't hug me like this. And then she whispered in my ear, do you know who I am? I was like, no, ma'am. She's just sobbing. She said, some years ago, you were with the 16-year-old. That was my daughter. She said, and I didn't want to believe that God could use you or that he would use you, and I definitely didn't think he should use you because it destroyed my family, destroyed my little girl. She said, but I have just witnessed a miracle. I've just witnessed a miracle. And now I see that not only has he forgiven you and I should forgive you, but he's using you for the kingdom to reach people far from God. Right? It was that moment, her holding me. I started crying and I couldn't believe that I was sitting here standing face to face because you never think of the other people you're hurting. And she told me about how she needed the same forgiveness and she's done just as much and people just don't know about it. And she said, it's funny how sitting here forgiving you and knowing God forgave you and watching God use you lets me realize that he can still use me because I've been holding on to a lot of stuff that I know I shouldn't have done as well. When I share these stories about my life with you, that's the only reason, right? That's the only reason I'm vulnerable is for this moment right here. There's somebody in this room who thinks they're not enough There's also somebody in this room who's on the resident manager's side looking at the person saying, mm-mm, he could never use them. So I give you this story as practical evidence that what happened in the Bible 2,000 years ago is still happening today. We're about to sing this song. Let the words pierce to your soul. I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? Meet me where? At that first boat. The boat of labels, flaws. The boat where you see the different flags and, and you feel some type of way. Let Jesus meet you there again. Remind you that you didn't choose me. I chose you. When you were all those things that you know you're not supposed to be, when you were living against me in sin, when you were my enemy, I chose you. Rashad, how, how do I know he chose me? He stayed on the cross for you. He met you where you're at. What gives you the audacity to look at anybody else in your life and say they're not worth it? But, but, but maybe that's not you. Maybe you're here at this second boat, the boat of little faith. 
You know God can reach. You know God can do the impossible, but you just don't believe he will do it through you. You want to step out on that water, but every time you do, you start to sink because you stop believing what he said you could do. Go make disciples. He said, come. Go make disciples. Follow me. I will make you fishers of men. All I want is all you are. Will you meet me here again? Remind me that I can be just like you. You got to cry that out to him. Remind me, reassure me that I can reach people the way you reach people because I can be just like my rabbi. And maybe you're like me today. You see, that was 2012 when I had that encounter with the resident manager. And since then, I feel like I failed God in so many ways in my life of just missing the mark, crossing the line. It's not that I don't believe him. It's not that I don't believe that he could use me. I just feel like a failure. I worked on this sermon all week and thinking about my daughter in college and just other stuff going on. I just never got to a place to like put it where I wanted to put it. And I got up here on this stage feeling like I failed you. Feeling like I didn't have it together like I normally have it together. And I, you know what I did? I just asked him to meet me here again. I was like, Father, I, I don't even know how to preach this one. I don't even know how to put this all together, but would you just meet me here again? Be because not for a moment have I been forsaken. The Lord is in this place, right? And so this is, this is what I'm asking you. What will you do to take that next step? to see people far from God. And if you're the person who thinks you're too far from God, what will you do to take the next step to be closer to Jesus? I'm inviting you into it. We do all these weird, neat things with our outposts for those people who are far from God. We are literally, start, I gotta get this in there. We are literally starting a fantasy football outpost. Fantasy football people, you in here? Yeah. Fancy football outposts, right after this, you can go sign up. Why? Because people won't come to church for Jesus, but they'll come to church for a draft night. <laughs> you laugh, but this is what I'm talking about. This is where they're at. And I see people. Not flaws, not problems. I see people. So I'll do whatever it takes to meet them where they're at because he met me where I was at. This is my challenge to you. Who are you going to make cookies for? Go knock on the door and invite them into your life, not the church, not the building, but the body. Who are you going to do that for this afternoon or this week? That's the challenge today. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you're doing in this room. We thank you for meeting us again and again and again and again where we are. Father, help the person that's in this room right now that doesn't know you and thinks they're too far from you. Help them get rid of those lies, Father the lies of the world, the labels that they're to this or to that, or they side with this or side with that. They have these convictions or those preferences, and so they can't be with you. It's a lie, Father. Your son came and reached the racist Jewish and the, the traitor tax collector, brought them together and said, the world will know us by our love for each other. No one is too far, Father. But for those who are in this room, Father, that do believe in you and know that you are able but just don't think that they are worthy of being used by you. Father, keep them in that humility, but show them 
that you woke them up so that they could exist for one thing, and that is to see people far from you discipled into a passionate relationship with your son. We thank you for the privilege to participate in the story of salvation. It's in Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.